Proverbs chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Exam season is over. Way! All over the country, students are lying in their beds, spent and exhausted by the rigors of the last few weeks. Some of them are in my house. At the younger end, high school students have finished their 20 GCSE exams and joyfully hurled their revision cards and notebooks in the recycling bin, never to be seen again. A-level students have emerged from the exam hall, pale, blinking in the sunlight, shocked at how bad their skin has become. Some of them are thinking, hang on a minute, in theory, I never have to write an essay again. Some of them, uh, uni students, have finished the year, handed in their papers, and disappeared for the summer. All right, not all students. I'm sorry, those of you who are still here, still working on your dissertation, but the end will come, right? But for all of this learning, are we really wise? Are we really wise? Let me give you some examples of educated people who are foolish. You can get 10 A-star grades at school, but refuse to listen to the wisdom of your parents and make a total mess of your life with drug and alcohol addiction and a sexually transmitted disease. You can graduate with the highest honors from a good university and yet have such a harsh tongue and abrasive personality that you go through life wrecking relationships and never actually realize why. You can be so brilliant that your PhD is awarded without the need for corrections, yet ruin the most important relationship in your life through sexual betrayal. We can be very educated and very foolish. Now, there are examples of people who are uneducated, but wise. You can leave school without two GCSEs to rub together, but have such business savvy and high EQ, emotional intelligence, that you are a millionaire by the age of 25. You can spend your working life on minimum wage in a low status job, yet have a character of such warmth, integrity, winsomeness and grace that you build community and you enjoy the favor and love of all who know you. You may never have heard of quantum physics. You may think that Occam's razor is a shaving product and you might believe that Dostoevsky plays in goal for Dynamo Kiev, yet cultivate a healthy marriage that nurtures human life for 50 years. We can be knowledgeable fools and uneducated wise. Are you starting to see that wisdom is broader than education and it's absolutely essential? And that wisdom and education are not the same thing? Two quick points just to... Uh, two points of clarification here. I say all this as someone who is very pro-education. 
I have spent eight years in tertiary education since leaving school, acquiring three degrees and a PGCE. I don't know if I'm any wiser. I'm not knocking education per se. One of the benefits is that you know how to say things like per se. But I'm aware that Manchester is a city where a lot of people prize education. Many of you came here for education, but that's not the same thing as wisdom. On one level, this is a second clarification, all of us are foolish, all of us. Last week at the teaching day, I quoted the New York City pastor, Tim Keller, who says, just say to a 25-year-old, remember what you were like when you were 20. Oh, yeah. How foolish I was. How stupid. What an idiot I was when I was 20. But when you were 20, isn't it true that your 15-year-old self looked like a total fool. Yeah, yeah, oh dear, when I was 20, my 15-year-old self was so embarrassing. So you know what that means? You're an idiot now. <laughs> and if you base your identity on your deepest feelings and intuitions, it is a completely incoherent way to live. So education's a great good, and on one level, we are all idiots, but oh, how we need wisdom. God knows this, of course because God made us and knows us. And so in his word, the Bible, we have a number of books that are not law or prophecy, but they're wisdom. They're devoted to making us wise. We have the book called Song of Songs. That's wisdom for romance, marriage, sex. We have the book of Job. It's wisdom on suffering and the problem of evil. We have Ecclesiastes, which is wisdom on philosophical questions about the meaning of life and why life often seems so absurd and it doesn't make sense and it's so ridiculous. And we have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a gem. It's an anthology of wise sayings put together by King Solomon, and many of them were by him, collected by him and written by him, some 3,000 years ago. So we're talking about ancient wisdom for the modern world. A child was once heard to pray, Dear God, please make the bad people good, and please make the good people nice. You know, her prayer makes the point that there are details of character that are quite small. They slip through the net of God's law, and they escape the challenge of God's prophets. But these details of character that make people nice are decisive in personal dealings. In the Bible, the law and the prophets deal with the big checks of the Christian life, but Proverbs is about the small change, the day-to-day -day rub of relationships and reality, the little details that are so important. What are you like to live with? What is it like to be your boss? What do you like to employ? How do you manage your affairs, your time, yourself? This good lady, does she talk too much? This cheerful soul, is he unbearable in the early morning? This friend who's always dropping in and seems to outstay his welcome, here's some advice for him. And that pretty woman whose conduct towards men is embarrassingly indiscreet. And that opinionated soul who loves to state his views forcefully but never listens to the other point of view. And as for that rather aimless, lazy boy whose life is going nowhere, well, here's some advice for him. Proverbs is wisdom for everyday life. It's godliness in working clothes. Great Old Testament scholar 
Derek Kidner, writes, this book offers a key to life. And he continues, the samples of behavior which Proverbs holds up to view are all assessed by one criterion, which could be summed up in this question. Is this wisdom or folly? Is this wisdom or folly? And this is a unifying approach to life because it suits the most commonplace, ordinary realms as fully as the most exalted and high places of life. Wisdom leaves its signature on everything that is well-made or well-judged, from a wise remark to the universe itself, from a shrewd policy to a noble action. Now here's why this book is so important. Our daily lives are complicated. We need more than rules. Life is very complex, it's rarely black and white, it's full of many shades of gray. Simple rules won't cut it, we need more. We need wisdom to fill in the blank moment by moment. But there's another reason why we need wisdom, and it's this. You can live by all the rules and still be ugly about it. <laughs> you can live by all the rules and still be ugly about it. Wise Christians and wise churches are radiantly attractive. More people are won to Jesus Christ by beauty than by rules. Now, Proverbs will touch the whole of life, everything about us. The first nine chapters are an extended introduction. Solomon makes the strongest case he can for pursuing wisdom. We need to get it. We need to listen to it. We need to seek for it. We need to acquire it. We need to wait for it. We need to study it all our days. He basically says, if I can paraphrase, sell your shirt to get wisdom. And then in chapter 10, the Proverbs begin. There are hundreds of them. They're, they're, they're just little short statements. Most of them only one verse long. And they are collected into six anthologies, six collections. And they just cover, in, in apparently random fashion, the whole of life. Here's a few examples. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. A little sleep, a little rest, a little folding of the hands, and poverty comes on you like an armed man or a bandit. A beautiful woman who shows no discretion is like a gold ring in the, pig, the snout of a pig. <laughs> it's pungent. And Proverbs is going to cover so many different themes. Uh, here's some examples. Friendship, words, family, emotions, anger, parenting, how to have money, the temptation of beauty, pride, work, envy, the sluggard, and how to be successful in life. Now, this book of Proverbs has got 31 chapters. One of the great Christians of the 20th century, a man called Billy Graham, at one stage of his life devoted himself to read one chapter of Proverbs every day of the month. 31 days in a month, 31 chapters. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to be wise. Would you like to become a profound person? Would you like to live well? Would you like your communities to flourish? 
then let's listen to this ancient wisdom for today's world. And today we're just going to read those first seven verses, just in a way dip our toes in the water, get our bearings in the book, and we plan to spend a month in Proverbs starting today. Then we're going to take a break and spend spend a month in uh, Jonah, and then we'll come back to Proverbs uh, later in the summer for another five or six weeks. So today I just want to look at the introduction of the book. If you've closed it, please open it up again, page 635, Proverbs chapter 1, and just three brief points to make. Firstly, deep character. Secondly, straight thinking. And thirdly, crossing the threshold. Deep character, straight thinking, and crossing the threshold. Deep character. One of the things that we need most in our lives is character. Character. Yet it is rarely taught, rarely coached, or even talked about. And then we find ourselves absolutely horrified when we watch the news or read the paper and we see we have leaders in the highest offices of political power who lack character. And then we know how important character is. Proverbs wants to give us the opportunity to develop deep character. Here it is in the introduction. Look at verse 2. For gaining wisdom and instruction... What is this wisdom that we should gain? The Bible describes various things as wise. Here are some examples. People who are good at spinning and making clothes. Exodus 28, tell all the skilled workers, God says, to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as priest. In other words, if you're good with your hands and making things, the Bible describes that as wise. People, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 15, who are good at management and oversight and delegation and leading groups of people and communities. It's called wisdom. People who are, have spiritual insight can understand deep matters, who are wise, even at interpreting dreams. Remember Joseph and his, his technicolor dream coat. Joseph was wise. He could, he could, God gave him wisdom to understand dreams. People who were skilled in craftsmanship. One of the great uh, uh, craftsmen of the Old Testament is a man called Bezalel. Exodus 35, Moses says, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he's filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, what do you think God's Holy Spirit did by filling Bezalel? What do we think when we, we imagine someone is filled with God's Spirit? Here's what it was. He's given him, filled him with the Spirit, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To do what? To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones. To work in wood and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. You see, uh, uh, wisdom in the Bible includes practical wisdom, applied wisdom, wisdom that can make things, design things, work with the grain of God's world. Yesterday, I had the joy of spending some time with a good friend of mine, also happens to be my brother-in-law, who is wise at making things, building things, fixing things, and just kind of making them work. And I had the amazing experience of seeing him get a piece of cardboard and fix a door, and then use a saw to cut off the bottom of the door so it wouldn't stick. I've been struggling with that door for five years. This dude sorted it in 10 minutes. It's wisdom. One uh, scholar called Ray Ortland says, wisdom is skill, expertise, competence, 
that understands how life really works, how to achieve successful and even beautiful results. Wisdom understands how real life can work well. And that means, firstly, developing deep character. Deep character. Notice the words just reading on in verses 3 and 4. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. This is what character looks like. Prudence. That's not the most inspiring word, is it? It sounds rather Victorian, or like a Scottish grandfather giving advice on financial prudence. But the Hebrew word means good sense, insight, being shrewd. A prudent person knows how to act well, how to show care, how to think about the future. They know how to steer the boat in life's storms. And they know, it says here, to do what is right, to do what is just, to do what is fair. Now that is the kind of character we want, isn't it? We want that kind of character in our leaders, people who are right and just and fair. We've just been praying about it. And in our communities, we want communities that are, are, are just and fair, especially to the, the immigrant, the refugee, the asylum seeker, the person with no home. We want communities that are right, just, and fair. How do we know how to do that? Only if we have this kind of character developing in ourselves, this kind of judgment, this kind of prudence. Here we will learn it. It says here in verse 4, giving prudence to the simple. Now in Proverbs, simple is not a word that reflects anything about your IQ or your uh, intellectual ability. It means morally naive. The simple are the morally naive. They're easily enticed and misled. They lack moral judgment. They tend to believe everything that they're told, including bad advice. They need discernment. They're, they're easily taken off course by, by bad company. But they are capable of learning. And the book is an appeal to you. Come on, you simple ones. Come and learn how to live. Come and learn prudence. And then it says, knowledge and discretion to the young. Proverbs was originally an instruction manual aimed at young people, most likely teenagers and young adults, who were being trained for leadership in the, in the culture, in the community. This book offered to give them the ability to make wise plans, to formulate the best course of action, to achieve good goals. Now, let me just speak here to Christians for a moment. I know not everyone here is a is a. Uh, practicing Christian, and it's great that you're here. I'm going to just aim a few arrows at the Christians, okay? You can listen in and enjoy this. Notice that what Proverbs is talking about here is mostly to do with character, not sin. And that's where a lot of our problems lie, in character. In the 18th century, John Newton wrote a letter to a friend, and this letter was so uh, inspiring that it was later published under a title, Some Blemishes in Christian character, some blemishes in Christian character. Now, Newton was an amazing person. He was a former slave trader who had repented and changed his ways and eventually became a vicar. He had a pretty unusual CV compared to the average vicar. And Newton knew a lot about human nature, knew a lot about people. And he points out in his letter that while most Christians succeed in avoiding obvious external sins, like 
murdering people or committing adultery, many overlook blemishes on their character and they pass them off as just quirks or foibles. These character flaws may not be directly against any command in the Bible, but Newton says they are actually sinful because they are the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit that Christian believers are supposed to exhibit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, nine fruit that God's Holy Spirit create in you as you grow in Christ. Newton says, if your character flaws go against that, then they're actually sinful. Our faults, he says, normally seem quite small to us because we're naturally good at self-justifying, but they don't look that small to other people. And as a result, these small faults or character flaws cause many Christians to have very little influence on others for Christ. Newton lists the faults that we tolerate in ourselves and he gives them some comic names in Latin. Let me just share a few of these characters with character flaws and see if you can recognize any of them. The first he calls austerus. Austerus, like the word austerity. Austerus is a solid, disciplined Christian, but he's abrasive, critical, and ungenerous in dealing with people. He seldom gives compliments and praise, and he's almost never gentle. Humanus, this person, person is passionate, full of joy and zeal and energy, but also impulsive, impatient, doesn't think things through, speaks too soon, always quick to complain and lodge a protest, and often needs to apologize for rash statements. Volatilis. That's where we get the word volatile. Volatilis is very kind-hearted and eager to help, but simply not reliable. This person isn't punctual, doesn't follow through on promises, needs to be reminded of things constantly, is always overextended, never says no, and as a result, does shoddy work. Curiosus is very sociable, a people person, loves a good chat but enjoys knowing negative things about people and finds ways of passing the news on. May divulge a confidence that they shouldn't and enjoys confrontation too much. Querulous is a person of strong conviction, but known to be very opinionated. A poor listener, argumentative, not very teachable, and very slow to admit that they are wrong. Now there are many more characters the point is, there are Christians who live moral lives that are above reproach, and yet they spoil their witness to Jesus by character flaws. And we all have them, right? <laughs> we all have them. Are you aware of what your character flaws are? Has God's Holy Spirit started to point them out to you? Have other people been trying to break in and, and say, listen, you, this just isn't good? And are you taking steps to work on your character and to develop it so that it's more and more like those fruit of the Spirit? Proverbs will help us become people of deep character. But it also has another goal, and that is straight thinking. Straight thinking. 1930, a man called Robert Thulis published a book called Straight and Crooked Thinking. 
Thulis was into logic. He was a reader in educational psychology at the University of Cambridge. And in the book, he gives all sorts of ways that people think that seem quite good to them, but actually are crooked. They don't stack up. Uh, but we persuade ourselves that we're thinking the right way, and in fact, we're not. And at the end of the book, he gives 34 dishonest tricks, which are commonly used in argument with the methods for overcoming them. So he identifies 34 tricks that people use in arguments that actually he says are dishonest, and then he gives tips on how to argue against them. The first one is the use of emotionally toned words. People are arguing a case, but they use a word that's emotionally toned, and that helps them to win the argument. Secondly, making a statement in which all is implied, but actually only some is true. Thirdly, giving proof for something, by selected instances. You win your argument by picking some examples that actually agree with what you say. He gives lots more examples of it. There's a couple more at the end that I love. Angering an opponent in order that he may argue badly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> if you're not winning the argument, just really wind up the person you're arguing with and then they'll argue badly. Straight and crooked thinking. Now the point is this, if we're gonna live well in God's world, we need to know how to think straight. And this is not a matter of education, it's a matter of wisdom. Here it is again, look at, if you will look at the text, uh, verse two, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. Verse five, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. This is the second goal of Proverbs. Real life is not simple, easy and straightforward. Real life is complex and full of unexpected challenges and difficult decisions. To live well, you need more than a rule book. You need discernment. You need understanding of people motives, situations, emotions, your own heart. You need uh, what, to know what to say no to, what to say yes to, what to say, I'm not sure, I'll think about it later. You need to know who to spend your time with, who perhaps to avoid, what to do with your money, when you should confront someone, and when you should be silent. Life is full of decisions that take wisdom. What career path should I follow? Should I marry this person? How should I use my money? Save, give, spend, some combination, how much? Where should I live? Is it wise to buy this house or this flat? What values should we instill in our children? And how are we gonna do it? Now as we come to Proverbs, we're approaching a community of wise people. It's like we're just tiptoeing up to a circle of the greatest thinkers in the ancient world. I imagine they've all got long gray beards, even the women. Uh, these are people who've spent their lives gathering wisdom and pondering deep questions. They're standing, talking together, and we get to sort of creep up and overhear their conversation. And you know what they sound like? Yoda. At first, we're going to hear words and concepts that we don't understand, a bit like talking to Yoda. But if we stick at it, we catch on. And as we do, we're going to leave behind our distracted, shallow, entertainment mindset with its easy answers, which were all found on Google. 
and we will grow because we too can become profound people over time. How we need this in our generation. I picked up a book at our student weekend away called uh, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. The guy that wrote it, Tony Reinker, actually is a fan of technology and he loves his smartphone. But he points out there are 12 ways our phones are changing us. Here's eight of them. We are now addicted to distraction. Our brains are changing. You know that? You know the brain is actually, there's a plasticity about it. The brain changes depending on how you use it. We now have a shorter attention span because we're addicted to distraction. We ignore our flesh and blood. We can't have a meal or conversation or sit with a child without looking at the phone. We crave immediate approval. We know that we can put stuff out on, on a social media platform that will engage dozens, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of people. We love that. All the likes, all the ticks, all the retweets. We crave immediate approval. We are starting to lose our literacy. We don't need to spell because your phone can correct your spelling. We get lonely. We're so connected and yet we're actually more isolated than ever before. We become comfortable with secret vices. In the dark corners of the internet, people can access things that would have been unthinkable, even unbelievable, just 50 years ago. We fear missing out and we become harsh to one another. We say things through our phones that we would never say if we were looking a person in the eye and talking to them face to face. Those are eight ways our phones are changing us. Your phone got smarter, but what happened to you? You see what's at stake for us here? Our lives are chaotic. My life is chaotic. We're hyper-connected. We're too accessible. There are too many ways to communicate with us. We're over-informed, but we're under-reflecting. We have more information accessible to us at our fingertips than the entire medieval world knew about. But are we any wiser? We're trying to patch together our lives, some, some sort of coherent life worth living. We have such need for wisdom. Because when your life's like a patchwork quilt, then your identity is fragile. In other words, this book is promising us living rather than dying. That's what's at stake. That's the cash value of Proverbs. It says, come, those of you who will listen to wisdom and get life, drink at the fountain of life. Deep character. Straight thinking. And thirdly, crossing the threshold crossing the threshold here we are look with me at verse 7 as we conclude verse 7 here we have the whole book distilled down into a single drop verse 7 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction what is this fear of the Lord it's not cringing fear being scared of God like the boogeyman in the dark. It's the opposite of despising wisdom and thinking you're too smart and you don't need to be told. You don't need it. The fear of the Lord is being open to God, being humble before him, 
and being eager to please him. Being open to God changing you, changing your mind, changing your character, changing your habits, changing your desires, changing your life, aligning you to his purposes by the power of his Holy Spirit working in you through his word written down for you. This is how we cross the threshold into wisdom is that we embrace the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is a deep reverence for God that allows him to, let, let's go and let's him be God in our lives and says, yes, I'll listen to you, whatever you have to say, although I know it may change me. And if we know God as he really is, then we will gain the right perspective on ourselves, on our lives, on our world. And that, Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. It's the way you come into the house. And that's how wisdom also continues to build us and shape us and grow us. But you know, if we are Christians here today, for us, wisdom isn't just a concept, it's a person. There was one who never got a PhD, never went to a Russell Group University, never got an A-level. In fact, he didn't get a B-Tech or a GCSE. He learned a trade when he was a teenager, joinery. He was the local handyman. At the age of 12, he went to Jerusalem and he debated and asked questions of the teachers, the wisest in the country, and they were astonished. How did this child get such wisdom, they said. At the age of 30, he became a traveling teacher. His name is Jesus Christ. And this book of Proverbs is Jesus coming to us as our counselor, our sage, our life coach. Jesus is a competent thinker for all times and cultures. Here's how he concluded one of his sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Will we listen to the voice of Jesus in the book of Proverbs this summer? Will you start to read it for yourself day by day? Jesus is our priest, our prophet, but here we find Jesus is our coach, our mentor, our guide. Let's pray.